a prayer. Bob's right. This is going to be our last week in the Gospel of John. So take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 21. And in a way, it's like uh, saying goodbye to an old friend. That's how I feel when I've finished each book in the Bible. When I've spent months of studying it, you know, I feel like I'm saying goodbye to an old friend. In this case, I don't only feel like I'm saying goodbye to the Gospel of John, or the writer John, I feel like I'm saying goodbye to Peter, because he's been such a prominent part in this book. And as you're going to see, he's a prominent part in the book, again, as we close out the Gospel. So, we are in John chapter 21, we're going to cover verses 15 through the end of the chapter. Last week we read about the miraculous catch of fish on the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, John makes sure that he calls the sea Tiberias rather than, than the Sea of Galilee because he wants to emphasize that Caesar, Tiberius Caesar, is in charge of all the water. He's in charge of everything in the Roman Empire. And Peter and the apostles have gone back to fishing on the Sea of Tiberias. They're not doing what Jesus told them to do. He told them to go out and be fishers of men, and what are they fishing for? Fish. They've come under the authority again of Tiberius, in a sense. And so we saw that last week. They are back fishing, and then we saw that Jesus had prepared, shows up in his resurrected body and prepares a breakfast for them. There are seven apostles present at that breakfast. This week we're going to shift from our focus from the seven apostles onto Peter himself. And so that's what this section deals with. And we are let in, or we are sort of a... a sort of listen in on a discussion between Jesus and Peter. Okay? There's some unfinished business that has to be dealt with, and that's what we're going to see happen. So let's look at the scene, uh, beginning in verse 15. Notice, first of all, that uh, we saw, by the way, last week, that they are in front of a coal fire, and where Jesus cooks the fish on a coal fire. So that's where the scene takes place. Peter denied Jesus in front of a coal fire. So now Jesus is going to restore him in front of a coal fire. And just as Peter denied Jesus three times in front of that coal fire, so Jesus is going to restore, Jesus, restore Peter in three different stages. Just as, Peter had, just as Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus is going to extract a confession of loyalty from Peter three times. Okay? So that sort of sets up what's happening. So let's look at the restoration of Peter. Okay, stage one of the restoration, verse 15, starts with a question. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, some translations say John, that's the same basic name in Hebrew and Greek, do you love me more than these? Now we're going to discover that in these three stages, there's going to be a question, there's going to be a confession, and there's going to be a challenge. Jesus is going to ask a question, Peter's going to make a confession, and then Jesus is going to give a challenge. Okay, that's going to be in each one of these. So here is the question. The question is, Simon, son of John, or Jonah, do you love me more than these? And the first thing I want you to notice, the letters in red, if you have a red letter edition, Jesus calls 
Peter by his Hebrew name, Simon. He never mentions the word Peter, which means what? A rock. He drops that real quick. Peter's no longer a rock. Peter's a denier. Peter's gone back fishing for a living. So he just uses his good old-fashioned Hebrew name, Simon. And he asks this question. He says, do you love me more than these? Okay. Now what does more than these mean? Okay. That's a comparison, isn't it? More than these? Do you love me more than these? Now what is he talking about? Do you love me more than this fishing and all these activities? Is that what he means? I mean, obviously, I told you to go fish for men, and what are you fishing for? Fish. Is that where your dedication is? Is that where your loyalty is? Do you love me more than this kind of stuff? That's option number one. There's a second option. When he says, do you love me more than these, he could be saying, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Not do you love me more than the disciples, but do you love me more than the disciples love me. And I'm going to show you why I think that that's probably the answer. Okay? Now you have to bear with me for one second. I'm going to have to have you turn back to the Gospel of Mark. So do that. But keep your finger here. We're going to come back immediately. Look at the Gospel of Mark in chapter 13. Okay? The Gospel of Mark in chapter 13. This all fits in with the context, and I think that you will see it. So in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 13, you see that Jesus uh, institutes the Lord's Supper. He, he, he and the, the disciples are eating together, uh, the Last Supper. And after they eat that meal, Jesus says something, down in verse 27. So this would be Mark 13, 27. Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. Well, I'm in 14. I'm sorry. I was in, did I say 13? I did say 13. And I, I, I had myself fooled on that one. Look at 14. I'll read it again. Okay? So look at 14. 27. Then Jesus said, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Now that's where Jesus is when he meets the disciples and they're out fishing on the Sea of Galilee. This is the first time he appears to them in Galilee. So that's what he says there in verse 28. Peter said to him, now watch this, even if all are made to stumble, you can count on me. I'm not going to stumble. Right? I'm not going to stumble. They might stumble, but I won't stumble. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said, now, go back to John chapter 21, and Jesus asked the question, Peter, do you love me? And he, what does he prove? That he doesn't. Did the others deny Jesus? No. 
They were pretty faithful to Jesus. But Peter denies him, and so Jesus says, Do you deny me more than these? So I think what's happening, he's probably uh, showing that when Peter made that ridiculous claim and compared himself to the others, put himself above the others, he was, uh, you know, not thinking clearly. Now, Jesus asked this question in front of the other apostles. They're hearing it. Hey, Peter, you love me more than John? Hey, do you love me more than Andrew? Do you love me? That has to be very embarrassing in light of the fact that who's, who has failed in this group? Peter has failed. So I think that is what we have here. Now we come to Peter's confession. It's a great confession. He said to him, Yes, Lord. Watch out when anyone says yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. I heard a man once say, don't sing that song, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, unless you're going to obey the Lord. He who loves me what, does what? <coughs> Obeys me. <laughs> Peter, he said, yes, Lord. Now watch this. Verse 15. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. Which means, now notice he doesn't say more than me. <laughs> he has dropped that phrase. But he says, you know that I love you. See? And look how he says it. Lord, you know that I love you. He's pleading. You know, Why are you even asking me this? You know I love you. Isn't it obvious? Well, is it obvious? No, it's just the opposite. This guy's disillusioned. I'm convinced of that. But, so we have the question, we have the confession, and now Jesus gives his first challenge. So look what he says at the end of verse 15. He said to him, sort of a therefore, then you know what you need to do? What? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. In other words, if you love me, prove it. Let your actions verify your words, verify your confession. Or to put it this way, if you love me, you should be out there feeding my sheep instead of what? Fishing. You have to, uh, your, your actions have to verify your claims. Okay, so that's stage number one. Okay, stage number two. Look at the question, verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now, what's missing? more than these. Now, either it's implied, could <laughs> be implied, okay, or Jesus just drops that and, he's, and he would be saying, well, do you even love me? <laughs> let's forget about more than these. Do you really love me? So, let's get the confession, verse 16. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Okay, now look at the challenge. <laughs> verse, verse 16. Jesus said to him, well, guess what? If you love me, what do you have to do? Take my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Take care of the people of God. Don't just say you love me. Susie just came up and gave an announcement. You know, about taking care of people. Jesus said, one day you'll be standing before me and, you know, I'm going to say I never knew you. And they're going to say, Lord, what do you mean you never knew us? He said, well, since you didn't do it to the least of these, my brethren, we have a responsibility to meet needs. And Jesus said, don't say you love me. Tend to my sheep. That will prove that you love me. 
Now look at stage number three, verse 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Okay, Peter's confession. Look at this. Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Uh, Peter is brokenhearted over the fact that Jesus will not accept his confession. Uh, you know what that's like when you feel brokenhearted because somebody doesn't believe you? Well, there's a reason that Jesus really doesn't believe him. It's because Peter's in the past has not been faithful to Jesus. You know, I think of an ex-convict. He's been in prison maybe eight years. He comes out for armed robbery or whatever. Now he's out. And what happens when there's an armed robbery in the neighborhood? What do the police do? Go right to that ex-convict. Because in the past, guess what? He robbed. And he used arms to rob. And they said, well, where were you on the night of so-and-so robbery? He says, oh, I was watching television with my girlfriend. And the police said, oh, okay. Is that what they said? Do they believe him? No, they will grill that guy backward and forward. And Peter's creep. you don't believe me, Jesus. Well, why should I believe you? Look at your past. You see? So this, you see Peter's broken heart. He says, he says he was grieved in verse 17. Because he said the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Does Jesus take him at his word? Look at the challenge at the end of verse 17. Jesus said, feed my so G, Jew, uh, Peter disavowed Jesus three times. Jesus wants Peter now to affirm his loyalty and his love for him three times. Now, just a little aside. Many Bible teachers point out there are two different words for love here. There's phileo, which often is translated friendship kind of love, and agape, which the Bible teachers say is a God kind of love. That just simply isn't true. There are two, two Greek words, two different Greek words, but they're used interchangeably in John's Gospel over and over and over and over again, like 10 or 12 times, just used interchangeably. So if Jesus says, do you phileo me, or do you agape me, he's using, they're just being used interchangeably, do you love me, that's basically And when he says, feed my sheep and tend my sheep, that's the same thing, lamb, sheep, in the Gospel of John, they're used interchangeably. One doesn't mean little sheep and little lambs or something like that. So that's not the point. The point is that he's saying, if you love me, you should be doing something. You should be taking care of God's people. Okay? That's just important at this point. Now, another thing is that all the disciples were called to be fishers of men. Jesus gave that command in John 20. As the Father sends me, so send I you. You should be fishers of men. Every apostle is to take on the role of an evangelist to preach the gospel. But Peter is to take on the role of a pastor. Besides being an evangelist, he is to tend to God's sheep. He's the pastor of the flock. So what you have in the book of Acts, the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem, is Peter. He takes on that role all the way up through chapter 12 in Peter. So that's just important that you realize that Peter has... Uh, Jesus has given Peter a little different focus, okay? So it's important that you get that. Now Jesus makes a prediction, okay? Now, first of all, an observation and then a prediction. Look in verse 18. Jesus says, Truly, truly, or most assuredly, I say to you, 
when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he, meaning Peter, would glorify God. Now, I mean, that's an amazing statement. After Peter makes his confession three times, Jesus makes an observation and then he makes a prediction. And here is the observation and the prediction. He compares Peter with Peter. Peter when he's young, Peter's when he's old. Peter always compared himself with others. Jesus compares Peter with Peter. Okay? Peter when he's young, Peter's when he's old. Now what did Jesus say about Peter when he was young? Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourselves. You got dressed yourself when you're ready to go out and you pulled up your robe, you tied around so you were mobile, you girded yourselves, and you walked where you wished. You did what you wanted to do. You were in charge of your destiny when you were young. But, look at the next word. But, do you see that? There's going to be a contrast between an old Peter, the, the Peter when he was young, and the Peter in the future, the past Peter and the future Peter. But when you are old, watch this. You will stretch out your hands. Another person will gird you. You won't be in charge of any of that. They will carry you, not where you wish, but where they wish. And you know where they're going to carry you? Right to a cross. They're going to crucify you. That's what he says there. He says, you will stretch out your hands. And that was a phrase in first century that represented being crucified. And that's why John then explains it in 19. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. So, Peter wanted to compare himself with others, but Jesus compares himself with himself, okay? And Peter has a mission. He's to feed the sheep, he's the pastor of the sheep, and he is going to be martyred for his faith. That's the prediction. You will be martyred for your faith, Peter. Now, that's what I call a good news, bad news scenario. Here's some good news. You're going to live to be old. That's pretty good news. I like that. But, bad news. <laughs> You're going to be put to death. <laughs> you're going to be you're going to be martyred for your faith. They're going to take you and they're going to nail, put nails right through your hands and through your feet. That's a good news, bad news scenario. And both of those are guaranteed. Guarantee number one, you're going to live to be old. Guarantee number two, you're going to be put to death for your faith. Good news, bad news. Now this has real theological implications, by the way. But a lot of people think that Jesus could have returned, come back a second time. As soon as he went up, he could have gone back, you know, year 31, year 45, year 55. Guess what this shows? He guarantees that Peter's going to do what? Die. Peter dies about 64 A.D. Jesus couldn't have come back before 60 A.D., could he? If he had come back before 60 A.D., 64 A.D., what would have happened? Peter wouldn't have died. <laughs> so you have to watch out in your doctrine. You say, well, I believe that... The church believed in the imminent return of Christ and he could have come back at any second. No, he could not have come back before what? Peter would have died. Peter had to die. Peter had to get what? 
old. Do you see that? just need to be thinking through passages when you're reading them. This is one of the things I try to do is just to make you think through these passages. So now what happens is Jesus gives an invitation. Okay, look at verse, middle of verse 19. And when he had spoken this, that Peter was going to die and get old, get old and then die, he said to him, follow me. Now what in the world does that mean? Could have a double meaning. <laughs> follow me, just the way I die, <laughs> you, know, you need to die. <laughs> Could be that. Follow my example. You know, I was martyred for the faith in a sense. You need to be martyred for the faith. And I think that would resonate you know, with John's audience, who are in 95, realize that, hey, we can all be put to death for our faith. And we do know that by the time John was writing this, there was an evil emperor over the Roman Empire named, named Domitian, and he was persecuting the church. And guess what? Here's a prediction. If Peter had to die for the faith, guess what? I might have to die for the faith. I can see how that would have flopped. But when he says, follow me, I think there's a very practical thing. And that is, Jesus says all this in front of the seven apostles, and then he says, Peter, swipe me. I think there's a double wing. Go on, follow me. He starts walking. He starts walking away. Walking down the beach. Okay. Walking by the water's edge. And so when you think of that, think of that double meaning, look what happens. Verse 20 says, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. And what was he doing? He was following. See? But I think when Jesus said, follow me, he said, come on, Peter, follow me. And so they start walking down the beach. And guess what? Peter walks, turns around, and guess what? There's John. The beloved disciple. He's following behind them. Now he's far behind them, but he's behind them. See? So look at that verse 20. Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also leaned on his breast at the supper. And he said, Lord, who's the one who betrays you? Well, this takes us back to that last supper where Jesus said, You know, somebody's going to betray me. And everyone said, Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? John finally says, whispers in Jesus' ear, is it I? We saw that very early in our study. It's called. And he's following behind. Okay? And of course, that's when Peter said, I don't care if anybody else denies you, I won't. I'll die with you. So, anyway. so he's following behind. Okay? As they walk along the water's edge. Now look at verse 21. Peter seeing to him, seeing him, said to Jesus, What about this man? What about John who's following? What's going what's to happen to him? Now this is what got Peter in trouble to begin with. He was always wanting to compare himself with, with others. I know what you said is going to happen to me. How about him? What's going to happen to him? So he wants to know what the situation is going to be for John. What do you have in store for him? Now look at verse 22. Great answer. Jesus said, If I will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? In other words, that's none of your business. He might never die. He might not die, and he may be still alive when I come back. You'll be dead and gone, but don't worry about him. Guess what? That's none of your business, what I do with him. That's none of your business. And we always want to compare ourselves to others. He says, that's not your concern. And then... Look what he says. That's not your concern. And then verse 22. Here's your concern. What? You follow me. 
That's all you have to worry about. That's great, isn't it? That's all you have to worry about is that you follow me. You just do what I called you to do. You do what God's will is for you to do. And don't you worry about what God's will is for John. Because God's will for John has nothing to do with you. John's destiny has nothing to do with you. What has to do with you is you. That you follow me. So, this says a lot. This tells us that Jesus uh, has different plans for each of us. He has a plan for Peter. Peter's going to be the pastor of the church. He's going to get old. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die for the faith. Jesus has a will for John, which he does not reveal to Peter. That's not Peter's business. It's not your business what God's will is for somebody else, and you're not to tell them what God's will for them is. God tells them what his will is. He has a different job for each of us and a different plan for each of us. And it's not for every one of us to be famous. He has, he wants somebody to be famous, and he wants somebody to teach the little Bible school in Dallas, Texas, called Criswell College. Now that's what God's will for me was. Teaching where? Criswell College? Yeah, Criswell College. How many students do you have? 3,000? Oh, it's closer to 300. Oh. Why'd you waste your life doing that? When you could have... I'm not the one that determines God's life for me. You're not the one that determines God's life for me. You're not the one that determines God's plan for you. It is God who determines plans for you. When I was young, I wanted to be Billy Graham. Like other disillusioned preachers. And I was an evangelist. And I would preach like Billy Graham. I would stand in front of the mirror for hours and I would preach like Billy Graham. My hand motions, everything. I had these invitations down. I haven't done it for years, but I would act like I was looking at up there. Great stadium. I'd see myself preaching. Said, now you made me up there on the balcony. <laughs> <laughs> now I'd say, you know, if you're with friends or relatives, they'll wait. You know, I had it all down, you know. And that's what I wanted to do. But that's not what God wanted me to do. I never conceived in my wildest dreams that I would come from, come to Dallas. God had us come to Dallas. So God has a plan for each one of us. So, Jesus says, if I want him to live much longer than you, and never die, and still be alive when I come back, that has nothing to do with you, Peter. That's none of your business. You need to be about my business and do what I want you to do. Does that make sense? Okay, so then, look at verse 23. Then this saying, the saying that if I wanted him to live until I come back, this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple, that's John, would not die. Boy, a rumor started there. John's not going to die. Hey, Peter says John's not going to die. See, see how that happened? Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? This is how rumors start. <laughs> Misplug, you know. The issue, the issue is, what is that to you? Not that he's going to live forever. But there was a rumor that John would just live forever. And notice where it got started and how it spread in verse 23. It says, 
it says in uh, this saying went out among the brethren. You see that? It's not the apostles who actually were spreading it, but it was it got into churches and before long it spread throughout all the churches that John would not live, not die. It started, that rumor started in 30 AD. Still alive in 95 AD. <laughs> it's a 65 year rumor. And if this is John who's writing this, guess what? He's still alive. <laughs> and uh, if John's still alive and he's about 95 years old, he's the one trying to put the rumor down. He says, look, I'm still alive, but that doesn't mean I'm going to live forever. <laughs> Jesus didn't say that. Okay. Uh, it's Peter's interpretation. You got it wrong. You know, Peter gets everything wrong. So, you know, But I'm, that doesn't mean what you said. I'm that guy. Just believe me. And then he says in verse 24, this is the disciple who testifies these things. I'm the, I'm the beloved disciple. I know. Okay. When Peter said, hey, John, Jesus said, you're not going to die. I went to Jesus myself, and I said, is that what you said? And he said, no, I said, well, what is the will? If I wanted you to live forever, you could. Because I told Peter, that's not his business. That's how rumors start. He said, I'm the guy who testifies these things. And I wrote these things. And we all know, and he uses himself in the third person, this is just the way that a lot of them wrote in that century. And we all know in the church that this testimony is true. I've got it right, and the rumor is wrong. Okay? I was an eyewitness to the whole thing. And then we have this. And there are many other things that Jesus did, which if it were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Uh, this is hyperbole. Okay? We see this kind of hyperbole in the first century by other writers. Philo uh, writes this way. He calls this a rhetorical flourish. You know, he did so many things that if, if uh, all of them were recorded on the whole world's libraries couldn't hold. Well, that's just a hyperbole. It's, we use that. We say, that man's so rich, you know what? You couldn't count all of his money. Well, he asked you to. It'd take you a while, but guess what? You can count it up. He can count it. He knows how. He can count every sentence. That's hyperbole. What does that mean? He's so rich that you couldn't count it all. Well, you really couldn't count it all. It just means what? <coughs> so, Jesus does a lot more what John is saying than is written in this book. Um, and this is how the Gospel of John ends. So the theme of John's Gospel is a, is a theme of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the theme of the Gospel of John. It begins with love, it ends with love. As the, as the song says, it goes something like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk of earth a quill? And every man a scribe by a trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, the love of God. You know that song? The love of God, how rich and pure, how marvelous and strong. It shall evermore endure. 
the saints and angels song the love of God. That's what John's gospel is about, but it has a practical implication for us. In a sense, it ends with a question. Alan Street, you just put your name in. Do you love these more than you love me? And after the word these, you put a blank. Do you love these items that you own more than me? Do you love this family more than you love me? That's the question that he asked each one of us. And it's not enough for us to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. He wants to see some evidence of it. He wants us to live it out and feed the sheep and reach out and meet people's needs. And that ends the Gospel of John. <clears throat> what about next week? We're going to start the book of Isaiah. A long book. 66 chapters, can you handle it? So that's what we'll start next week. Book of Isaiah, and we're going to start with chapter 1, and there is a major Christmas verse there that has gone unnoticed by most people. And I want to build a Christmas teaching around Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 3. I'm going to do the chapter, but that's going to be a verse. You want to look at it before we stop? Okay, let's look at it. We'll have fun looking at it. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 3. So Isaiah, you have to go past Psalms, okay, for the New Testament. And, uh, and when you get there, I'll read the beginning of this section for you. Isaiah chapter 1. Okay, you got it? Okay, verse 3, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amon, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, that's the southern kingdom, in the days of Uzziah, these are all kings, Jotham, Ahab, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And here's the message. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and look what they've done. They've rebelled against me. Old his people rebelled against him. Now watch this. The ox knows its owner. The donkey knows its master's crib. See that word there? That word is the exact same word, except the Greek translation of Isaiah. That word crib is the same word as manger. So look at this. The donkey knows its manger. But Israel does not know my people. My people do not consider. At last, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors, and so on. We're going to see that when Jesus is born, God develops a scene. And it's a scene where there's a manger, and there are animals. And guess what? The donkey knows where the manger is. He knows where the, where the supply is. He knows his master's manger. He knows who feeds him. But guess what? Israel does not know God. And so that whole scene is developed in order to bring Israel back to God. He's showing them what God is doing. He's doing it and when Israel is in a total state of sin. And he's bringing in Jesus Christ and he lays out this picture for them and for us to see how he's bringing his people back to him. And that's what we'll pick up next week with the Christmas. Okay? Lord, we thank you. <clears throat>
thank you for your, your word. We thank you for the Christmas season. We thank you for friends and brothers and sisters in Christ who stand with us. Help us to be in unity. Help us to show the love of Christ for one another as we've seen in our passage today. Help us to experience the joy and the glory of Christmas. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs> Thank you.